from my title. It doesn't come from this building. It doesn't come from this platform. It comes from this book that we hold in our hands. We want to honor it. We want to respect it. So we ask that you would give us the ears to hear what you have to say and give us the grace to respond to what you say this morning so that we leave these doors um, different, um, changed by it. And so we ask that you would massage the truth of your word into our hearts this morning, Lord, and make us into the people you want us to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I was telling someone else earlier, I feel comfortable saying good morning. You know, I normally preach in the morning, but last night I did a wedding and I said, we're gathered here this morning. And I didn't even realize I said it until afterwards. And Tina said, well, you did well, except you said good, mo- you know, good morning or whatever it was. I don't even remember what I said the whole time. Um, we're in a series through the Proverbs. And uh, the topic du jour, okay, the, the, the theme for this day is prayer. Now, I just led you in prayer. How do I know God heard that? I know he heard it because he's omniscient, right? And he's all-knowing and nothing escapes his attention. So I don't mean, did he actually hear the words fly up into heaven? You know, did he actually hear the words come out? Of course he heard the words, but did he listen to it? When I prayed, how do I know that he is going to respond to it? That he goes, yes, I'll take that prayer. Or is he going, la, 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 I'm not listening to Lucas. Well, that's silly. God doesn't do that, does he? Yes, he does. Does God listen to every prayer from every person at any given time? No. The answer is no to that question. There is such thing as ineffective prayer. There's such thing as prayer that doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work is not because you didn't have the right theological words. It's not because you didn't end with in Jesus name. It's not because you didn't start off with our father. And it's not because you weren't holding some beads made in Rome or something. It was because (laughs) because you're lacking the prerequisite for prayer to be heard by God. And here's here's the problem. Anytime something is ineffective, we stop using it. Right? When your car stops working, you go to get it fixed, and they say, this just is not fixable, you dump it and you get another car. Uh, You go to the store, you buy an appliance, you bring it home, you plug it in, and it doesn't work. It's not blending your food. It's not washing your dishes. What do you do? Well, you check the manual to see if there's something you missed, but there's nothing you missed. You don't keep it in the house because tradition says you should keep it. You don't keep it in the house because your neighbor says it's a good one. You take it back to the store because it doesn't work. Blenders are supposed to blend. Washing machines are supposed to wash. Right? And prayer is supposed to get an audience with God. And prayer is supposed to get a response from God such that He does something in your life because you prayed. That's the nature of prayer. But when it's ineffective and it feels like you're just talking to a wall and it feels like the words are just bouncing back to you and God is not responding, it doesn't take very long for us to become discouraged with that and then we stop praying. Guys, the problem is not with prayer and the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. Now, there's different reasons sometimes for prayers being ineffective. 
But the one I want to camp out tonight is a major one. The reason why a lot of our prayers, guys, are ineffective, why we pray, and then God doesn't do something about it. And then we go, I guess God's not doing anything. And then we kind of pull back from prayer. The reason why prayers are often ineffective is because we're disobedient. And God doesn't listen to the prayers of people that are not obeying Him. God does not respond to prayers from people that aren't listening to Him. God doesn't listen to me if I'm not listening to Him. God doesn't act in my life if I'm not acting for Him in my life. God does not listen to prayers that are birthed from someone who's disobedient. The proverb I want you to turn to is Proverbs chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, I'd like you to slip your hand up and we'll get you a Bible. But like I prayed in the opening, this is, uh, we have one in the back. This is, this is not, I don't want you to walk away hearing, remembering what I said. I want you to remember what the Word of God says. So, Proverbs chapter 15, you crack the Bible open kind of to the middle. If you're in Psalms, go over to the right a little bit. You'll find Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29. What is the secret to effective prayer? We find it here. The Lord is far from the wicked. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. That's the inflection with which I read it. The Lord is far from the wicked. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. In other words, the wicked, he's not, he's not listening to what they're saying. When they pray, it's noise. When they pray, it's white static. It's like when you're flipping through stations and you find a station, you like it, and you hear that song, and you're like, ooh, that's a good song, but it's interrupted with crackles and interrupted by that Spanish station competing with it on the other, you know, and you're like, eh, can't get it. Maybe if we drive another few miles, we'll either leave that zone or enter the zone where we'll get that song fully. And even though I would love that song, even though I like that song, even though the lyrics are great, I'm not going to listen to it and I'm changing the station because there's too much static. And what this is saying is when prayers come from a wicked person, the, the words can be right. The theology can be intact. Even what you're asking for could be something that God's going, yes, I want to do that in your life. But there's too much static. And so he, he turns that station off. And that static is wickedness, sin, disobedience. God's calling you out on something and you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. And he keeps pressing you on it and you ignore him. This isn't talking about general things. We all make mistakes. This is a lifestyle of resisting what he's calling you out on. This is things that, these are things that you come to church, you hear the sermon, or you go to growth group and people are talking and you're like, yeah, yeah, I do that. Right, right. And you make nice with the group and then you go home and you're like, man, that's not me at all. I don't do that. And you know what? I don't really want to do that. Then you kind of stop going to group because, you know, whatever. You start pulling back. You start retreating because God is pressing you on this thing and you don't want to change. That's the static that interrupts prayer. That is what disrupts prayer. If prayer is like your cell phone, and you've got that direct line to God, obedience is your reception. You want a good reception with God? You want calls not to be dropped? You want Him to hear you crystal clear? 
You want to say, God, you got me now? And he's like, good. Right? Obedience does that. Disobedience disrupts it. Disobedience will drop the call. It's not because God's ineffective in listening. It's because we're ineffective in obeying. And obedience is the prerequisite to get that line connected so that when we pray, God goes, yes, I'm listening to an obedient child and I want to move in this person's life because he lets me move in them first. Um, he's far from the wicked. He's far from the disobedient. He's far in the Proverbs. Wicked, wickedness is the same as foolishness. It's the lack of wisdom. It's the disobedience. He's far from those, but, but people who pray that are righteous, people who pray that pursue him in, in obedience, that listen to his word, that listen to what he says, those prayers, he hears those. And make no mistake, when it says he hears them, it doesn't mean he, he just heard it audibly. It's He responds to those. He does something about those kind of prayers. He steps into your life and makes changes in response to those kind of prayers if you're this kind of person. It's the same with parenting, right? I mean, even if, if you're in here and you don't have kids or your, your kids are all moved out and everything and you're trying to remember back. Remember back when you were a kid. I mean, if, if you just did anything you wanted... Your parents lay down the rules, clean your room, brush your teeth, and you, you don't brush your teeth, you don't clean your room, pick up your toys, you don't pick up, don't hit your sister, you slap your sister. You just disobey any chance you get. And then you come and you say, Mom, can I have 20 bucks so I can go to the mall? What happens to that child if the parent goes, okay, here's 50, go to the mall. What do we call that? Spoil. What does it mean when something's spoiled? It's rotten. It's corroded. It's kind of gross. It's not edible. It stinks. You kind of want to stay away from it. Well, that's what happens to the child who does whatever he or she wants, but still gets the request from the parent. God is not in the spoiling business. In fact, what really happens is the child is put in the driver's seat in the family. Because the parent lays down laws and they don't listen. But when the kid makes requests, the parents listen. Who's in charge now? The child. So when we do that with God, we're saying, God, I'm going to dethrone you. I'm going to take your throne. You're going to listen to my request. But when you make demands of me, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm God. So God is not a big baby in heaven going, oh, you're not listening to me. You know, like he's having a fit. I'm not going to listen to your prayers because you don't listen to me. You know. Like, we're mutual, like, we're partners in this, you know? Like, hey, man, you listen to me and I'll listen to you. Hey, we'll help each other out. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. God doesn't have an itch. He doesn't need you. You need Him. It's a one-sided deal in terms of which, which party needs help here. And so just like a parent, excuse me, a parent to a child, the same way with, with the father, to his children. When we pray, when we ask him for things, when we make requests, we have to be living in such a way that the channel is open for him to answer that request. And that's obedient living. That's living that honors his word. If we don't honor his word, he doesn't honor our prayer. It's a simple concept. I just, I think we forget it. I, I think we, we lose sight of it sometimes. Um, He's far from the wicked. He's far from wickedness. He's far from disobedience. But the prayer of the righteous, he hears those. 
Another way to put it is Proverbs 28.9. We're going to put that up there, or you can turn to it. Same book, just a couple chapters over. Uh, same truth, same idea, but put a little differently. Proverbs 28.9, we have it up here for you. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You know, so someone's writing this, an Old Testament uh a saint is writing this and writes this down and says, you know, if anyone turns his ear away from the law, you're reading your devotional in the morning and you're in Deuteronomy and it says, do this or you shouldn't do that or God is pleased with this, God is displeased with that. And you don't listen to it. You turn your ear away from it. You close your mind to it. You just block it out. You ignore it. That prayer, not only does it not get heard, it's not just that God sees the prayer and goes, Mm, I, I can't. The prayer itself is an abomination. What's an abomination? Anything that's abominable to God or to you just means it's something you hate. It's something you detest. Right? Like when, when, a, when a band covers a song from one of your favorite bands when you were a kid, and you're like, oh, that's an abomination to the... That's not the way the song goes. That, that. That wasn't originally supposed to be, yeah, it's a cover, you know. But it's an abomination because it just disregards the integrity of the original chords, you know. Well, when something is an abomination to God, he's going, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this way. And when you do it another way, he detests that. He's far away from that. He moves far away from that. But if you listen to the law, if you listen to his word and you respond to it, not perfectly, not always exactly, 100% all the time, because we fail. We do fail. But the person who hears it, knows what's right to do, and then just doesn't do it. That's sin. That's sin. And it makes our prayers abominations. It takes a little bit of gall, doesn't it? To blatantly disobey God and then still come scamper to Him when we need something. You ever have friends like that? They just call you when they need something. They just call you when they need a ride. They just call you when they need to borrow something. And maybe you can put borrow in quotes because you know you're never going to get it back. Those kind of friends are people that you tend to move away from after a while. This is kind of abusive here. Well, God moves away from people who want stuff from Him but don't, don't let Him have any kind of reign in their life. They don't listen to Him, but they want Him to, they want him to listen to them. And God's going, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So God gives us things to respond to, to obey, and we disregard it. So let's look at an example. All right? Proverbs 21 gives us an example, verse 13. Here's an example. Whoever closes his ear to the law, right? So what law? Well, let's take an example. We're supposed to help the poor. Amen? Okay, we're supposed to help the poor. You read your Bible, you come up with that conclusion pretty quickly. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. And the Bible makes it clear we're supposed to take care of people in need. And when we see those needs, we go, nah, I want to do something else. That's disobedience to the Lord. And then when we go home, we're like, Lord, I really need something. You just bypassed the, the dude on the side of the road like the priest did, and you weren't a good Samaritan to that person, and you want me to step in and help you. 
If we refuse to be God's answer to other people's problems, God won't be the answer to our problems. If we refuse to step in and help someone else out, God's not going to step in and help you out. That, that's the formula. Now, this isn't about salvation. Okay, let's write that in the margin if you're taking notes. This is not, if you're going to be saved, do something to please God and then He'll save you. This isn't about salvation. Salvation, the salvation prayer is the prerequisite of repentance. God, I can't do it. I need you. Please help me. And he steps in. This is the person who supposedly has a relationship with the Lord. This is, this is someone who supposedly is in relationship with the Father, is a child of the Father, you know, and, but does whatever they want and comes and tries to pray. And God's going, you're, you're, not, you're not in line. And so prayer, answers to prayer, is conditional. It is conditional because he requires you to allow him to do something in your life, change you, make you a different person, make you a better person. And when you're changing and you're pursuing him and you're becoming like Christ and you're gaining maturity and you pray, God goes, yes. You know why? Because God birthed that prayer in you. You know what to pray for and you pray for the right things when he's doing a work in you. But when you're blocking God from changing you, all you have to offer is your own little selfish prayers. You know, you can't see two feet past what's in front of you. You don't have vision because God's not working in your life. You've got all this static of disobedience, all this clutter of stuff that God is trying to get you called out on. You're not paying attention to it. And then you don't even know what to pray at that point. You don't have the wisdom to pray what's right because you don't care about what's right. You're not letting God correct the things that he needs to correct in your life it's like uh it's like a driver in a car pressing the gas revving the engine it's an expensive car you know it's 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 a sixty thousand dollar car it's it's got speed it's got power under the hood and when you rev the engine you hear the potential you know and it's like scaring the neighbors right the car alarms next to you in the parking lot are going off because this thing is powerful, but it's not going anywhere. And you're, you're hitting it and you're, you know, whatever. And why is it not going anywhere? Because you're in neutral or you're in park. That's, that's pretty dumb, right? Guys, we try to rev up prayers. and well, You know what? I'm going to show up at prayer meeting. I'm going to come this time. And I'm going to go there. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give them my request. And I'm going to have other people praying for it. And I'm going to fill out the prayer request in the bulletin. And I'm going to have the church praying for this request. I'm going to get as many people as I can to pray for you. doesn't matter how righteous all those people are. Your prayer request is being lifted to God. And you're a disobedient person. You got Your spiritual life is stuck in park. Because God says move and you won't move. God says put the blinker on. You won't put the blinker on. You're not going anywhere because you're not responding to God. And there's all this potential under the hood. All these people that could be helping you pray this into reality. There's all this, this stuff that God wants to do in your life. That's why James says you don't have because you don't ask. Or you ask and still don't have because you ask wrongly. You ask with false motives. James is hitting at the same truth. That you have to live a certain way so that your motives are a certain way. And when your lifestyle is pursuing righteousness. And when God calls you out on wickedness, you care about that. You stop. You hit the brakes and you go, whoa, whoa, am I, am I in the wrong lane here? Yes, get over. This is your exit, you know. And you, you have to get off that lane because God doesn't want... This is disobedience. I didn't know it before, but I was in a Bible study or I heard a sermon or whatever. I was reading scripture and I realized, oh, I need to change this in my life. 
And so you allow God to make that change in you. That's the person that God hears. But the person that goes, ah, I'm not listening to you. God goes, all right. I'm not going to respond to your prayers then. Because your prayers stink. They're decayed, corroded words that are spoiled. And they're an abomination to me. If you read through the Old Testament, you, you finally get to the minor prophets. There's little prophets, that the little short books towards the end of the Old Testament. And one of my favorite is Amos. Because Amos, he delivered this message that was just... It was so hard-hitting. And... Uh, Amos was a prophet who lived in a time when the people, it's not that they were necessarily off worshiping other gods and didn't worship Yahweh anymore. They would come and still try to worship Yahweh. They would come and still try to put their sacrifices on. The priest would put his robe on to the exact specifications that it was given to him by Moses. And they would, they would do everything correctly. But God wasn't hearing their prayers. And so God gives Amos a message. Go tell these people something. Tell them that when they come together and they hit their cymbals and they play the lyre and they they make music and songs with theologically rich lyrics based on the law that I wrote, I can't stand the noise of it. That's the message Amos was to deliver. Stop the noise. Away with with the racket. All I hear is sounds banging and like there's no music to my ears there. Why? But we nailed all the chords. Disobedience made it an abomination. A disobedient people were doing all the religious things right. All the ceremonial things right. But they weren't righteous in their hearts. And so God says, I don't, I don't care if you bang cymbals. I don't care if you play a guitar. I don't care if you preach a sermon. I don't care if you go to Sunday school. You see how it applies. Roll it over into today. Is it possible for someone to be a Christian, saved, but they just get into this mode where they just start doing churchy things out of churchy habit? But, but during the week, as God is calling them out on things, they're not necessarily responding to those things. God, God is going, oh, I hate that. And when you pray, when you have the gall to come and pray, I hate that. But the answer is not, all right, I won't pray then. You know, my prayers are an abomination. He wants you to pray. He wants you to pray the right way. He wants to move in your life. He wants to make changes in your life. He wants to show up in a big way. So that prayer becomes contagious. Oh my goodness, it works. Prayer is effective. When I show up and I pray. When I come and gather with my, my, my fellow brothers and sisters, we pray or I kneel at my bedside at home by myself and I pray. And that maybe that day or that week or that month, God shows up in a way that blows my expectations away. I asked for this and he gave me that. That is so awesome. Guys, I want us to be a church where we come together and we're like, I remember that thing we prayed for and I was asking for this. He gave me that. I wanted this door open. He smashed open the whole wall. You know, that door closed and this one opened. I didn't even know this door was an option. I was asking for, for this little thing over here and he did this big thing over there. Maybe some of us could stand up here and, and do testimonials. You know, like, man, guys, remember we were praying for this? I put that in the bulletin. God stepped in and did this in a big way. But guys, I wonder if a lot of our prayerlessness comes from our, our feeling like prayer is ineffective. You know, prayer doesn't work. If prayer worked, I'd show up. If prayer worked, I'd do it a lot more. 
We do things that work, right? But we bounce around from praying, not praying, praying, not praying, just the way we bounce around between diets. It's always the diet's fault, right? Oh, I tried Weight Watchers, but it's the stupid points. The stupid points, that's dumb. I'm not good at math anyway. And so I'm going to go to this one where I'm not allowed any carbs at all. Just no carbs. And then a few months later, you're like, ah, that's stupid. God made carbs. You know? Ah, I'm going to walk away from that. I'm just going to be vegetarian. Mm. Does that necessarily work? Like, man, I stayed away from meat for a long time, but it's not working. Maybe the problem isn't the diet. Maybe the problem is you're still eating too much. You're still not exercising. You're still not getting good sleep. See, you want to diet because you want a different belt size. But you don't necessarily want to diet because you want to be healthy. If your concern is health, then you can pick any number of diets and it'll fit into a lifestyle that is getting you toward health. But if you're just watching a movie and you're like, man, those guys are ripped. I need a, you know, and then you just start Googling what, what's, what diet are they on and you just go to the next fad. You don't care about health. You care about image. And guys, someone who's religious and churchy, they're concerned with looks. They're concerned with putting a facade on that might please other people and hopefully pleases God. But at the bottom of their heart, they're not after righteousness. They're after an image. And God is going, I see through all the nonsense, guys. And I can see where your heart is. You don't care about what I say. You don't care about what I think. If you did, when I called you out on something, you would do it. You would respond or you would seek help and say, God, I have this addiction. Can you please help me? But no, you don't care. Well, then that causes me to see your prayers as ugly, as an abomination, as noise. But obedience changes the picture. Because I don't want us to walk away just remembering the second half of that, that verse. That, or the, uh, the second half, the, the, uh, he hears the first half. The Lord is far from the wicked. We can just remember that. But remember the second half. He hears the prayer of the righteous. He does hear the prayer of the righteous. He will do something in your life if you're living a life that's responsive to him. I want to look at one more proverb. Help us understand that God is not looking for religious duties. And this is Proverbs 15.8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. God's not looking for sacrifices that are empty. He's looking for sacrifices that are meaningful. Whether it be worship music, whether it be me preaching a sermon, whether it be you coming to church, going to a Bible study, reading your Bible, witnessing to someone, all the things that the Bible tells us to do, we do those things not for the form, but because of the function. We don't do it because it's a religious thing to do. We do it because we love the Lord. We do it because He wants us to do it and He's our Father. We want to please the Father. When we crawl up in His lap, we want Him to smile. We don't want Him to go, okay, what do you want? What are you going to ask for this time? You don't listen to me. No, we don't want that. We want a father that goes, yes, what do you want? Name it. Name it. And then he steps in and responds because that prayer is acceptable to him. As I, as I was working on this message, I thought to myself, if I'm a Christian, okay, I have Christ's righteousness. You know, when they ask, you know, if you're asked, when you get to heaven... And God says, why should I let you in? What's your answer? 
Jot this down if you don't know what the answer is. Okay? Christ is my righteousness. I know I have filthy rags. I know my righteousness isn't good enough. I know I fall short. But Jesus died in my place, so I don't have to die. And the perfect life I didn't live, he lived that perfect life. And so Jesus has righteousness on his account. You're over here bankrupt, okay? You've got nothing. You've got sin. You've got negative, 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 negative all the way down your sheet. That was put on his account, and what was on his account was put on my account. And so we put on Christ's righteousness, and Christ's righteousness is perfect, is it not? So my question as the gears were turning, as I'm preparing this message and I'm dealing with these Proverbs, I'm going, God listens to the prayers of the righteous, but aren't we all righteous? Aren't we all righteous in Christ? True, true. But like I mentioned earlier, that's salvation. There's still this matter of a walk. Not to finish earning salvation. But there's obedience. All these scripture verses you read. These letters are addressed to Christians. And they're like, be filled with the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Why would they write that to Christians? Because it's possible for a Christian to still sin. That's why. It's still possible for me to wake up one day and just feel kind of cranky and yell at my wife. And then later try to pray. You know what the problem with that is? 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Says, husband, honor your wife in an understanding way. You know how we get together with the guys and like, women, she just keeps, you know, be understanding or I won't hear your prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7. Now here's the question. Who's he writing to? Who is Peter writing to in his first epistle? Chapter 1, verse 1 says, to the elect, to the Christians, to the saints. So Peter is saying, Christian, Christian husband, Christian man, man who saved, man who has the righteousness of Christ, if you don't walk in a manner that's worthy, and I'm going to give you an example, how you treat your wife. If you don't honor her, you disrespect her, you don't try your best to try to understand why she's from Venus or whatever, you're not trying you're not putting in that effort to try to 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 nourish her ephesians 5 i'm not going to listen to a thing you say when you get you get down on your knees and pray to me i'm not going to listen to you you need to allow me to continue the work of righteousness in your life it's something that god works in us and as god works that in us we're changed we're changed God, I'm having trouble with my marriage. I'm having trouble with my wife. Please help me. He listens to that prayer. It's when God goes, watch how you're doing with your wife. Uh, And then you don't listen to it. That's when God goes, ooh. Okay. God is not looking for perfection. God is looking for pursuit. And there's a difference there, isn't there? Perfection means I always get everything right. Pursuit means when I fall, I get back up again. I mess up. I, I come back in the game. I don't just leave the stadium. I... I try to get up and wipe it off and try to keep going by God's grace. I lean on Him for it. I pursue Him. I know I'm going to mess up, but I pursue Him in it. And this is, this is actually the, the perfect uh, transition to communion because Paul makes it very clear in his letter to the Corinthians. Don't just take communion. 
is very much like prayer. You, you don't just walk, you don't just, you don't just eat bread, you know. It, it's, it's not, I was explaining to someone the other day, you know why we do the little tiny piece of bread and the little, little tiny cup? is because we're not here to give you lunch, that's why. That's why. I mean, in the early church, they had, they had feasts, but it quickly became a problem. Right? Paul wasn't even dead yet before that became a problem. People elbowing, elbowing each other, trying to get to the food real fast, and the widows are left starving. And so at some point, the church realized, you know what? Let's not make, let's not make this an old country buffet at church, okay? Let's just do a little something that still uh, recognizes what it's about. That bread is the broken body of Jesus Christ, and that juice is the spilled blood of the Savior. He sacrificed for us. So we can have life. But Paul tells us, he told the Corinthians, don't just take it. God is calling you out on stuff. You don't just take it flippantly. Let him call you out on that thing and repent. Examine yourself. So that communion counts. Rather than be counted against you. Same with prayer. You live a life of obedience. When you go to pray and you you feel the... The conviction of the Holy Spirit calling you out on those things. Don't ignore that or your prayer will be ignored. Take that to him. God, I know you're calling me out on this. Oh, I just keep falling in this. Please help me. He'll hear that. No, no, never mind that. I just got to get to this request. He won't hear that. So I want to ask the worship team to come forward and the ushers as we prepare for communion. And I want us to apply this message now. Right now as you're in your seats. As the elements are being passed and the music is being played, take these few minutes to square things with the Lord. Examine yourself. Invite Him to examine you. And whatever He's pressing on you, whatever He's calling you out on, whatever He's disappointed in, whatever He's not, whatever He sees it's not lining up with what He wants you to do or for you to be, take that to Him and confess that to Him. And ask Him to change you. And if you've done that, as the plate passes, I encourage you to take that bread and take that cup. Because now God is going to use this moment, this opportunity to work a change in you. And make you a person of effective prayer. Amen? Okay.
Every trial will fail. 